What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Episode 18, we're doing Lord of the Rings! We're going to Middle Earth! What's up? What's up, Frodo? How you doing? Very excited. We're going to talk about easily one of the greatest franchises ever made. One of the best trilogies of all time. Like up there with like The Godfather, The Dark Knight, it's up there. It's actually the only trilogy with all of its movies put in the AFI Top 100 Movies of All Time list. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And it's one of the rare trilogies where, like, each sequel is, like, if not equal to, better than the predecessor. Yeah, every one of them is great. Which is rare. Like, you see that with, like, the Bourne uh, series. Like, each one of those is better than the previous ones. Mm. The Godfather, obviously, the first is best. But it's rare when, even just if they're all very good movies. Like, yeah. It doesn't happen very often with tril- trilogies and franchises. Each one got nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. It's one of the greatest stories ever told. Yeah, and the last one cleaned up shop. Yeah. So we're very excited about this episode. And real quick, if you like our podcast and our fans, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, the best way to help us out is to share us with your friends. We know you got some movie friends out there. Let them know about this show. We're pretty new. We're only 18 episodes in. We have no marketing team. It's just me. Leo does all the editing. And uh, leaving those five-star reviews helps so much. A ton of people have been doing it, especially the written ones. I know every podcast says this, but it really does help us get seen. We're starting to rank in a lot of awesome charts in like top 50 TV and film categories. So it's very exciting stuff. You guys are really helping us out get seen. So thank you so much. But keep doing it. Keep sharing us. Yeah, we love you guys. Keep sharing us. Remember, new episodes every Monday and Thursday, plus clips every day. Anyways, let's Let's get get started. Yeah, man. Going to Middle Earth. Yeah, in my opinion, this is one of the greatest trilogies ever made. One of my favorite things about this movie, we watched The Two Towers last night Mm. just to kind of catch up because we hadn't seen it in a while, even though we've seen these like 20 20 times a piece. I forgot that it was shot on film. I wish Peter Jackson was still shooting on film. Um, Shot on location. On location. Most of the time or in a soundstage where they actually built the entire set. Real landscapes. I mean, uh, shooting all over New Zealand. I mean, it, it shows clearly why the hobbit didn't succeed as much as the lord of the rings yeah not that it didn't make a ton of money but in terms of like being epic movies that will live on forever the hobbit just it felt like a video game half the time it didn't the the special effects i mean they were great but it just didn't have that believability in the tangibility of actually shooting in person in the locations that the lord of the rings trilogy had yeah and even some of the sets are very simple like the um, in two, the two towers where um where theodon the king his little castle isn't huge, yeah. and there's like a little village on top of that mountain, but it's very simple, practical things that they built. They built those. Yeah. It just adds so much to the filmmaking and like the aesthetic and the, the cinematography. Yeah, it makes it feel believable and real. Like Just those, having the actors walk into the sets and walking. Just the houses are barely used, but just having Aragorn walk past one of the houses with the with the uh, the people in the background, it, it makes it feel like it's a real place. It's just it's just so much better yeah. than The Hobbit. Not that The Hobbits <laughs> are like, they're not horrible movies, but like I'm probably never going to see them again. To be they, honest, they're in a 200 page book into three movies. So, but I can't believe that they released all of these movies in back to back to back years, starting in 2001, then 2002, 2003. What they did was. They filmed all of them together. Yeah, they filmed them simultaneously. People, people think that they filmed the last two together, but they actually filmed all three movies simultaneously. And they actually finished most of the principal photography before 2000. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's 1999. They started production in, on October 11th in New Zealand, obviously. New Zealand. Hey, how you doing? All our New Zealand fans, what up? Hey, what New up? We love you. Um, it took a total of 438 days of continuous filming to complete all three movies with additional um, reshoots and yeah, film scenes yeah. to be shot like afterwards. All, all movies have that. And yeah, all three movies were filmed together as a block, 
with scenes being shot as cast and locations became available rather than the order they're shown in the films. And Jackson made sure that every film got one year in post-production so that he could cut each one without a massive stress load. And he hired a different editor for each film so that none of the editors were overworked on the films. And it was actually originally pitched as a a two-picture franchise. It didn't work out, so Jackson brought it to New Line, and New Line um, wanted it to be three films, and they gave them $300 million for a budget to shoot all three movies. But it's seriously an impressive accomplishment, filmmaking-wise, to take on this grueling schedule of just continuous filming for two, for a year and a half, and then to have the vision of what each movie will be like long-term with all these, all these characters, all these story arcs, all connecting at the end. And to, I think one of the benefits of doing it for Peter Jackson was he wasn't really so much controlled by the studio because let's say you're planning a trilogy and you make one, and maybe the studio sees it and they want you to do something differently for the next one. That's like, too bad. We already filmed them all, man. Yeah, what do you want exactly. me to do? We already yeah. filmed it. So it's like complete control for Peter Jackson in the long haul and, and uh, overall scheme of the trilogy. 100%. And um, what he did was absolutely impressive and it was a heavy undertaking. Um, I think very few people could have pulled it off the way he did. And he and like we said, he, he made three incredible films. Yeah. And I think Peter Jackson's passion is what helps this series succeed so well. You can tell that Lord of the Rings is very near and dear to his heart, and it looks to me every time I watch one of the movies that he poured his entire heart into the film, each one of them. And it shows uh, people are really interested in the fantasy genre, and this was actually the first fantasy film that was nominated and then won the Best Picture Oscar. Um, The Academy has always been a little iffy with fantasy. It hasn't had as much respect, same thing as with comedy or as horror. It's, It's hard to get an Oscar nomination. So he actually brought such great critical acclaim to that genre where it changed people's minds about what a fantasy film could be. Yeah, I mean, people are drawn to these ancient worlds of, you know, soldiers fighting with swords and castles and kings and queens and even fantastical mythologies and magic dragons, freaking demons, the little monsters in caves. And these worlds and stories are fascinating. They're romantic. They're exciting. Obviously, many of these stories and films that you'll see you know, they aren't well-written or well-made, but we got we get outliers like Lord of the Rings, and the influence of Lord of the Rings is still evident today. I mean, look at Game of Thrones. Yeah. Clearly, heavily influenced by Lord of the Rings. And, and they quenched that appetite of since Lord of the Rings was gone. Wildly popular, like yeah. absurdly popular TV show. And so I think I'm curious to see what the next fantasy, medieval-ish fantasy uh, franchise is going to be. Amazon's doing a, a prequel to Lord of the Rings. So, so when, so yeah. when Saur- Sauron gained power and was is a, and was defeated originally so that's going to be the amazon uh, series yeah i mean so i'm curious to see that i'll be excited to see it i'll give it a shot I'll, I'll take a peek we'll see again there's way too much stuff coming out so it's hard to get a, a viewing of all this stuff anyways but i think one of the reasons why lord of the rings works so well is it's it's its themes are are incredible and they resonate so well i th- I, I would say the main theme of lord of the rings is power because i feel like the the ring represents the thirst for power and how seeking out power can lead to destruction of oneself and of, of the world. And um, like the search for power can lead to the suffering of many. Yeah, that's a major theme for sure. But yeah. also the theme of goodness. Yeah. And I mean, the hobbits are just pure, innocent creatures, which is why they're the only ones why Frodo's given the task of bringing the, the ring to Mount Doom. Because mm. he's the only being in Middle-earth that can accomplish that journey who yeah. won't get corrupted by the evil of the ring and the power of the ring so i think it's just a constant theme of back and forth of good versus evil 
power versus innocence, mm. purity versus hatred. Versus darkness. Yeah, dark versus light. Yeah. It's like an epic metaphor of dark versus light. Absolutely. Do you want to go through the characters, just the main characters? Before that, I want to say one more thing, that Howard Shore's film scores to this trilogy, nothing short of brilliant. Some of the best film music you'll ever hear. His music is so unique and memorable, and it fit perfectly with the story mm. and the characters. And if you need a good workout song to get amped up, put on Fields of Pelennor from Re- The Return of the King. And it, tell me you aren't ready to run through a brick wall. Put that, that am- on. That amps me up. Oh, Absolutely. my God. If you need to, like, sprint or, like, yeah. do a, a heavy set. <laughs> I, I think his, his music in this is some of the best music ever made for films. I, I put that. Hands down. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. But, yeah, let's get into the characters, which are obviously the most important part of the story. Yeah. Let's start with Frodo. Of course, the lead. The main character played by... The incomparable Elijah Wood, who we've seen in our neighborhood twice. Yeah, apparently he, he lives in our neighborhood because we walked past him a couple of times. Seems like a nice guy. He was with his baby strapped to his chest. <laughs> but he had his sunglasses on so we couldn't see those gorgeous baby blues. <laughs> but obviously Frodo is a hobbit from the Shire who inherits the one true ring from his uncle or technically second cousin, leading him on a dangerous quest to save Middle Earth. Yeah, and like you said, he, he represents uh, innocence, like the best of us, purity, good-heartedness loyal he's he's pure of heart and that's why he's given this task because of every creature on earth just small this small seemingly insignificant hobbit is the one person who is the one uh, being who can handle this undertaking exactly he's the nephew of the infamous bilbo baggins who basically when the movie starts you learn of bilbo baggins and he seems to be like a celebrity of the shire he's very famous for his legendary adventures and Frodo, you can tell he has an inkling towards wanting to also leave the Shire and also go on adventures, and he admires Bilbo very much. Yeah. And uh, Bilbo... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Eventually, when he leaves and departs on his end of his life journey, he leaves his home and the ring to Frodo. Yeah, and it's actually in the books they don't they don't touch on this in the films, but in the books, Frodo actually holds on to the ring for seventeen years. So by the time the story starts taking off and he leaves the Shire, he's actually middle aged. But because the ring keeps him youthful, he still looks like he's like twenty one. Interesting. Which is actually why Samwise calls him Mister Frodo. 
So he calls him Mr. Frodo because Frodo was an adult when Sam was a little kid. So he's always known him as a kid. And so when Sam grows up and he's an adult, Frodo still looks the same, but Frodo is like 50 years old. So that's why Sam always calls him Mr. Frodo. Frodo, like you said, is a very good being. And no matter how difficult his journey gets, he keeps pushing forward, keeps moving on because he knows that it's the right thing to do. You know, the heroism of Frodo is determination, steadfast adherence to to what he believes is right and doing what's right. Mm. And he knows that his journey is just and necessary. And he believes in it very much. And Gandalf believes in him. Let's move on to Gandalf. Gandalf! He, I would say Gandalf is probably a fan favorite of the of the franchise. Yeah, he's probably the most iconic character. Probably Every, the most beloved character, if not yeah. iconic. And, and Ian McKellen, he exudes like this fatherly quality to Gandalf. You can tell he's he's wise beyond his years. He's how nobody knows how old he is. He's like thousands of years old, but he's he's selfless and kind and experienced, and he believes in the good in people, and he believes in in the in the good in Frodo. That's why he sets him on, upon this task to bring the ring to Mordor. Yeah, played by Sir Ian McKellen, one of his best roles. You, we'll remember this guy forever for this role. Gandalf the Grey is one of five wizards called Istarian, some of Tolkien's writing, sent to Middle Earth to help its inhabitants fight Sauron before the ring. To Frodo, Gandalf is simply like a very good friend of Bilbo's and of the Shire. He comes to visit now and then. And I think, you know, Frodo knows that Bilbo has been on journeys with with Gandalf before. And he puts on the fireworks show for the Shire. And everyone there loves him. And he has kind of a friendly relationship with Frodo. But he doesn't know him as well as Bilbo knows him. Um, He's a very gentle person and familiar. But he's also very powerful and very wise. And the thing with Gandalf... Throughout the whole series in the franchise, he grows in strength and grows in power each obstacle he faces. He's constantly battling something powerful, constantly uh, accomplishing these impossible goals, and each one makes him stronger and a more powerful wizard. Yeah, he goes through a real transformation throughout the, the three films. But uh, a really fun fact about the role of Gandalf is that Peter Jackson originally wanted Sean Connery to play Gandalf. Sean Connery didn't understand the story, so he turned it down. It would have been weird to it have been Sean a- Connery. Oh, would have man. been a very different Gandalf. <laughs> you shall not pass. <laughs> you shall not pass. <laughs> I'm sure he would have pulled it off fine. Yeah, but I feel like I'm not sure Sean could have pulled off like that that kindness and just that. The audience just can't help but love Ian McKellen. No yeah, matter he brings what he a does. warmth to the character. Every that, character. Like, you don't think yeah. anyone could have done. Yeah, so I don't think it would have been the same with Sean Connery. He, would, he wouldn't have been as lovable. I mean, it's almost as funny as the casting potential of the next character, Aragorn. Yeah. yeah. Played by Viggo Mortensen, who was almost played by Nick Cage. Yeah. Imagine if Lord of the Rings had Nicolas Cage as Aragorn instead of Viggo Mortensen. It's insane. Peter Jackson originally offered the role to Nick Cage, who turned it down because of um, family reasons or scheduling conflicts. But it would have been a very different performance. And I love Nick Cage, but there's a difference between Nick Cage and Viggo Mortensen. And just like Sean Connery playing Gandalf, it, it wouldn't have had that gravitas or that... the that power that Vigo brings to Aragorn. You know what I mean? Yeah, Nick Cage is a great actor. Yeah. Like, I know he's in some bad movies, and he, he's got to pay his bills because he has castles and helicopters and stuff, <laughs> so he takes on a bad, a bunch of crappy movies, but the guy is very talented. Yeah. He's in some great movies, but he's also... He's more prone and more fit for, like, eccentric, eccentric characters. Mm-hmm. I don't think... Aragorn would have fit him at all. It would have been weird, especially with, like, Vigo brings, like, this amazing quality to Aragorn in, like, otherworldly, and he brings that, the feeling of the character destined to be a king one day. He yeah. brings that honor to the role and yeah. nobility to the role that you think Nick Cage probably wouldn't have been able to pull off. Mm-hmm. And Vigo was actually cast while the film was in production. 
they cast a different actor to play Aragorn. He was only 24 or 25, and they, he actually shot for four days as Aragorn. And then Peter Jackson fired him because he realized he was too young and he needed someone older to play Aragorn. So then last sec- in the last second, they, uh, they connected with Viggo Mortensen, whose son was a big, a big fan of the books. So he convinced Viggo, his father, to take the role. So, and then Viggo Mortensen got the book, flew to New Zealand, and read the book on the flight to New Zealand. And then the next day, he shot the uh, scene where he uh, fights the wraiths on top of that mountain. That's insane. To defend the hobbits. That was his first day of shooting. Talk about a death wish that guy probably has for <laughs> Peter Jackson. My God. And then he watches all these movies become so successful yeah. in like, Viggo Mortensen's career. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> But I mean, it, it was right for the movie. It was yeah, right. it worked out. And uh, real qu- like real quick, Aragorn is introduced in Fellowship as uh, this mysterious wanderer, Strider, named Strider. Yeah, and um, you eventually learn that he's Aragorn, son of Arathorn, heir of Ilsador, who Isildur. cut the Il- Isildur, yeah. Sorry, uh, who cut the ring from the hand of Sauron, which means he's heir to the throne of Gondor. Yeah, and again, Aragorn's destined to become king. And honestly, in the history of cinema. In fiction literature, Aragorn is one of like the most honorable leaders and warriors I've personally ever seen. Yeah. The guy is amazing. I love his character so much. He's my favorite probably in, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He always makes the best choice and the best decision. Um, he reminds me, Jon Snow reminds me of him. I feel like Jon Snow was based off of him. Same kind of thing. They always make the honorable decision. They'll always sacrifice themselves for the good of the others. Like when he, at the Battle for Rohan, um, at, at Helm's Deep, he's like, Let's just ride out and fuck it. Let's just die what fighting. You know yeah, what I mean? Instead of escaping, he'll yeah. die and fight with the men, even yeah. though it's like... It's uh, not even his kingdom. It's like a, a hundred men versus a 10,000 army. It was like, by then, it was like 10 guys yeah. Yeah, <laughs> versus the, the whole army. So he, he, he believes in honor and he believes in, in justice. And, and he, he's probably one of the strongest characters in fiction that there is. And Vigo is such yeah. an interesting guy. He's such a great actor. He's trilingual, fluently in English, Spanish, and Danish, but he also speaks French. Um, he more, he learned a Middle Eastern language for Hidalgo. Italian, Norwegian, yeah. Swedish, so he's a super intelligent guy. He's kind of like this unique global citizen of the world. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of he's perfect for, for Aragorn. Yeah, I feel like he's the modern version of Aragorn. And even when he got to set, everyone noticed that he was... Uh, he he had like ancient literature and po- poetry that he was reading yeah, in different languages. Yeah, he's like, okay, you're perfect. He's literally Aragorn. <laughs> Let's move on to one of the most important characters in the entire trilogy, Sam, played by Sean Astin. Sam is a normal hobbit just like Frodo, but has again like Frodo a strong desire to be more than a hobbit and which he brings up multiple times when he constantly talks about how he wants to meet elves mm-hmm. and um and how he wants to be remembered yeah and he his lack of hesitation to follow frodo on his quest is just a testament to his character sam is uh, is endlessly loyal to frodo um and he's he's the the greatest friend you can imagine i think his love for frodo is the reason why he's never even tempted once to take the ring because he knows that um it's frodo's job and he's he's there to serve him in whatever way he can to help him accomplish it it reminds me of Horcruxes too, like the the ring and yeah. its effect on people, and how although in Deathly Hollows the the trio they split time with it, Frodo t- keeps the the ring for himself at all times because it's his vocation, hmm. and you know whereas Frodo has a path of vocation to, and a journey laid out for him, Sam just joins the journey out of his strong character. And Frodo is, was told by Galadriel, um, Kate Blanchett's character, that he is the one who has to bear the burden, no one else. 
because he's the only one who's capable of bringing it all the way to to the to uh Mount Doom. Yeah, and Sam's loyalty, like you said, never changes. He never gives up on Frodo. He never stops supporting him, even when Frodo abandons him uh, towards the end of the of the trilogy. Mm. And Sam plays a vital role in representing the in representing the ordinary world. You know, Samwise represents the pleasures of life and being a hobbit and and stress free world and and just living your life in happiness. And according to Tolkien, without the simple and ordinary, the noble and heroic is meaningless. Mm. So you need Samwise to understand the gravity of the journey and what they must do. And he ultimately becomes probably, arguably, the true hero of the story when he carries, um, I almost said Elijah Wood, (laughs) (laughs) when he carries Frodo up the mountain and into the volcano. He couldn't do it without him. So he couldn't do it without him. Although Frodo is, like you said, the one person, one creature who can take the ring to Mount Doom, he could never accomplish his journey or even finish it without Sam by his side. Yeah. Sam literally carries him to the lava pit, mm-hmm. and he's literally the one that has to stop Gollum. And once Frodo turns, <laughs> you know, like Frodo gets there, but, yeah. you know, <laughs> he turns at some point. But Samwise is, is one of the most vital characters to the story. Do you want to talk about that real quick about how he turns? How we should save it. We're gonna, All right, we'll, we'll save we it. We save it for the end of the. All right, we'll the, save it. The, we're gonna go movie by movie by movie. Yeah. Here. All right, let's let's move on to uh, one of my favorite characters, Legolas. So hot. Easily the best character to play with in the Lord of the Rings video game. Oh, definitely. Yeah. With yeah. the arrows, it's like you can just destroy people. In the a dual distance. swords. Yeah, the two swords, badass. <laughs> Whenever we played it, I was always I always tried to be Legolas. But he, it was actually uh, Orlando Bloom's first ever job. As yeah, an he was actor. still in acting school, right? He was still in drama school when he got the role. It's insane. And he tried out for Faramir, but um, they liked him so much that they gave him Legolas instead. What a career this guy had in the 2000s. He was doing Lord of the Rings and Pirates of the Caribbean at the same time. Insane. It's crazy. Two biggest movie franchises of the 2000s, probably, besides yeah. Harry Potter. Easily. Like, insane. Yeah. Legolas is an elf from Markwood, and uh, he's an expert with his bow. Um, he's light on his feet. He has a bunch of special skills that elves have. Uh in, including immortality, so long as you don't die in battle. He can I believe. see like hundreds of miles ahead in the distance. Yeah, vast distances. He has an excellent ear, so he's an he's an amazing fighter and also a very loyal friend, which you can tell because him and Gimli, who's a who plays the dwarf, their uh, cultures and their civilizations have had past wars, and you know they start off with this like. Um, stubborn banter back and forth, but they become mm. very good friends throughout the course of the trilogy. Yeah, and their banter um, is one of the best comedic elements of the franchise, especially when they're counting kills during battles. So funny. 21, 22. Every time it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And then when, uh, Le- I love when Legolas shoots down the uh, entire mammoth full of men yeah, yeah. and he kills all those guys. And then Gimli's like, it still counts as one. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And um, yeah, Legolas is a, is a fantastic character um, because it shows that the different species of beings in Middle Earth mm. and how they've had at, they've been friends and they've been enemies in the past, but for this for this giant undertaking, they have to unite together in order to stop it. We'll move on to Gimli real quick, uh, played by John Reese Davis, who's great as Gimli the dwarf. And yeah. ironically, he's the tallest actor in the <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring. He's six one. He's the tallest out of all of them. And they did a great job. Same thing with the Hobbits and the actors who play the Hobbits. Making them seem small compared to normal-sized actors or even taller actors. Mm-hmm. Just a bunch of camera tricks. 
Also, forced perspective. Large set. I mean, uh, using large sets with normal sized people, mm-hmm. and uh, just just different villains and body doubles and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a, there's a scene in the Two Towers when um, Frodo and Sam are captured, and they're sitting in a room, and there are a bunch of wooden barrels in the room. But they they obviously made the barrels gigantic, like ten feet tall, because they're standing next to these barrels and they look tiny compared to them. Yeah, but on camera, it just yeah. looks like they're tiny beings. Yeah, exactly. And they did an amazing job with it. Mm-hmm. And he's a fav- he's a fan favorite, Gimli, among like hardcore Lord of the Ring fans. People love Gimli. He's the funniest by far. Yeah, he's, he's a the comic relief. Impossibly stubborn, uh, easily insulted, very honorable, noble though, and brave. And yeah. let's move on to a very important character, and probably. Not the most favorite character, probably the most iconic character, Gollum yeah. and Smeagol, played by the amazing and probably most underrated actor in the film industry, Andy Serkis. <laughs> yeah. And he might be the most fascinating character in the franchise. He's easily the most complex character. For sure. Because not only is his past and his um, transition into Gollum fascinating, but Gollum is, he suffers from a split personality disorder. Um, and... Smeagol, there's two facets to his personality. There's Smeagol, then there's Gollum. And Gollum is the ring's representation of him. And it's amazing in the two towers where you can see these two facets to his, his personality colliding and conflicting. Yeah, and they, they both gain power at different uh, periods of time over Gollum's body and entity. And we'll talk about later on what causes the power shifts between Gollum and Smeagol with mm-hmm. Gollum, the character. Yeah, and, and then um, this gave birth to the the widespread use of motion capture and Jackson in working with Andy Serkis pretty much built this technology from the ground up. Yeah. Andy Serkis is a large part in laying the groundwork for modern day motion graphics capturing and his motion capture studio, the Imaginarium, started with Planet of the Apes mm. and um the remakes and they also did the motion pa- uh, capture effects for the Avengers films and the Star Wars trilogy. Oh wow, he's killing. So they started the company. He's, the, he's one of the co-founders in 2011. Mm. And so they've done all the work on those movies which are, you know, the biggest movies uh every year. Wow, that's super cool. So and he's got some more movies in the works, but it's amazing to see such a talented guy create something so important to film and revolutionize filmmaking like with the help of obviously great filmmakers like Peter Jackson yeah. and collaborators, and if you look at behind the scenes photos of the first of the first film, because he's in it for a little bit, but especially the second film, he's wearing these these goofy outfits, but they don't even have the balls on the outfits yet. They don't even have targets on any of his limbs yet. So mm-hmm. they were like d- discovering how to how to utilize the technology as they were going. Yeah, he didn't even have dots on his face yeah. or nothing. He just wore a white suit pretty much the whole time. And then you see like Paul Rudd or you see like uh, you see like Josh Brolin doing Thanos and he's covered in dots. Yeah. And it's just like how advanced and, they've come. And they even have like now they have a camera on the, the actors wear a helmet with a camera that points right at their face like a, a few inches away from their face to really record their movements. So you can see how through trial and error of making these films and a few others, they really perfected the technology. Plus I'm, I'm play, plus, I'm pretty sure Josh Brolin did most of his scenes as Thanos just by himself in the studio. Like oh, really? Same, same thing. Well, a lot of them. And same thing with uh, um, Mark Ruffalo as Hulk. He did a lot of his scenes in the studio by himself. I believe that, yeah. Cause... Kind of like um, Benedict Cumberbatch as the dragon in, yeah. in Hobbit. Mm. But um, Andy Serkis, again, one of the most underrated actors, filmmakers out there. He's an amazing guy and... How he's never been nominated for like an Oscar or anything—it's just a, it's a damn shame. It's nuts, and I love seeing him when he's actually in a live action role. It's great to see him. To yeah, see his like face. in the Prestige, he's so cool, yeah, and then he's Avengers awesome in Black Panther, dude. Yeah. 
He's he's so cool, and he's he's very committed to acting when he's when he has a role. What's cool about Gollum, and actually a lot of the characters in the story that we don't learn in the films are a lot of these characters are very very old. Gollum is over five hundred years old. Gandalf is thousands of years old. But even Aragorn, he's like in his eighties, because he's he's part of this bloodline that goes back to ancient history where they have they live extremely long lives. So he's like close to a hundred in the in the film. Um, the hobbits are live to a hundred years old, but uh, and and Frodo is at least fifty years old. So and Legolas is actually I think thousands of years old too. Yeah, because again, elves only die when they die in battle. Yeah, so it's fascinating to think that all these characters have been living for centuries. And they're all played by twenty year olds. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a facet that we don't really uh, understand um, in the films. Yeah, and some other important characters in the film include uh, Mary Pippin. Uh, the two other hobbits mm. on the journey who follow throughout the trilogy. Yeah. And um, other there are the characters who are only like in smaller scenes, like well, one, yeah. one, one movie. And I mean, we got the two other main villains, Sauron and Saruman. Mm. And then Sauron's a great villain. I mean, we only see him in the intro of Lord of the Rings, but he's terrifying. It's kind of like Voldemort before he comes into power again. It's just the thought and the, just the, the idea of speaking about Sauron is dangerous. And only his eye is... Is uh he only has his eye right now, but just the idea of him getting his form back is truly horrifying, mm-hmm. and it really would bring about the end of the world. Yeah, Sir Christopher Lee as Saruman, fantastic villain. I feel like his character because there's so many amazing parts of this, these movies and so many great characters. Like Christopher Lee is just kind of like hidden in the movie, mm-hmm. even though he's just a fantastic villain, and he was also one of the only he was the only member of the cast to actually meet J.R.R. Tolkien he in real life. He was a super life. fan. Yeah. And so he also read Lord of the Rings every year of his life until the day he died. Mm. And he's just a phenomenal actor, and he did a great job as Saruman in these movies. He actually is also, he was also a, a death metal singer. Was he really? Yeah. In even, real life? Even before his death. Oh, my God. As an old man, he was, he was in a death metal band. That's crazy. <laughs> I think he passed away in, what, 2015? Yeah, it was like, like five like or six years ago. Yeah. Great actor. Yeah. But he did a great job as Saruman. All right, shall we move on to the filmography and go movie by movie? Let's get into and it, do man. This? Let's All right, deep. let's get into it with The Fellowship of the Ring, which came out in 2001. And I remember when we went to the movie theaters to see this, but like a few weeks before, like we saw trailers and everything, but I had mm-hmm. no idea what Lord of the Rings was. Yeah. I didn't know what these trailers were, all the, all the props and stuff they had and like the posters and stuff, but it looked cool. Mm-hmm. And I remember dad took us to see it, which is because... Parents of divorce, uh, the dad takes kids out to the movies every Saturday night. <laughs> so I remember him taking us to the movies to see Lord of the Rings one Saturday night. Uh, and I freaking loved it. Yeah, it was great. It was amazing. You've never seen anything like it before. And I think what, what was so strong about it is that it utilized all these emerging technologies in filmmaking um, where you added, you had special effects, you had the ability to really blend CGI with miniatures. So Peter Jackson was able to to create this incredible world that looked real and tangible and yeah. believable. And the most important part about creating this world, besides the CGI and the actors and everything, is this is the first film in a very large story that most people have never heard of. Yeah. Like I said, I never heard of Lord of the Rings. I never yeah. heard of Tolkien. Obviously, I was a kid, but still, you know, I knew Harry Potter, so it wasn't super popular mainstream audiences mm. at the time. So not only do you have to technically make an effective trilogy in movies in terms of the script directing acting wardrobe sets etc you have to introduce a whole new world of mythology creatures habitats landscapes to generally ignorant this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little 
or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Movie going public. Yeah. And they did an amazing job with the exposition of this film. Mm. You know, with the intro credits, with the uh, the elf talking and yeah. going over the rings and everything, how the men got the rings, the elves got the rings and everything. Um, but they did, it was really effective in... They, they show exposition throughout the series. There are characters that give us exposition throughout the films, but we, we're always up to speed with what's happening. I mean, I don't think any, I've heard of anyone being confused during the movies. For sure. But um, because it's, it was such an unknown property, uh, the studios they originally went to thought it was unfilmable. So that's why they passed on it. But little did they know it would be one of the most beloved franchises ever. And I think it's because Peter Jackson just understood the characters and the story and how amazing it all was. And I'm sure he had this vision in his head for decades of always wanting to make a movie series of Lord of the Rings. Mm. and or, or at least he wanted to see that at some point in his life. And, you know, there's a lot of fantasy franchises that, like, failed in the 80s. There were some good ones in the 90s. Um, like, NeverEnding Story is, like, this great epic fantasy, fantastical franchise. And so just to bring Lord of the Rings into that landscape of cinema and bring it to audiences around the world, I'm sure... It, it was a daunting task, but he did a, an amazing job. Especially when you consider that the first film, the first 40 minutes is like, there's not much action going on. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think he, it was really smart to use the, the ancient war from thousands of years ago and the defeat of Sauron to open up the movie. Because that really brought us into, oh my god, this is in, incredible action and special effects and these villains are terrifying. And So after that happens, we got 40 minutes of setup, which can be a little boring, but is great when you learn to love the characters and you look at the sets of the Shire and, and the wardrobe and it just like, it brings you into the world. Yeah. The Shire at first, the first time you see it, it's like, Oh, I want to like see all the swords and stuff. But like, it's one of the best parts of the movie when you watch it over and over again. And you have to, you have to fall in love with the Shire to understand what's at stake. Yeah. And especially because the hobbits play the biggest role in the books, Mm. whereas they're kind of more of like supporting characters in the movie versions, Mm. which I understand that's what Peter Jackson had to do. The books are actually told through all their perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. But um, the hobbits are, I think the biggest characters in the books in terms Mm. of like time spent on their, their timelines and their storylines. But you gotta, you gotta make an entertaining movie for uh, American universal global audiences. You gotta get some swords in there. You gotta get Vigo's face in there. Yeah. You need some, some amazing Vigo Morrison face and close-ups because (laughs) This movie is is not short of amazing hair and beards. Like so many good hair, so many good parts, like middle parts everywhere. Excellent, like like two week shadow. It's it's great. It's full of it. It's very masculine, but it's it's a it's a great setup. Um, he does a good job, um, bringing us into the world and then teaching us about the ring. Um, Gandalf investigates the ring. Um, and that's when he comes back to Frodo to set him upon the task. Yeah, so Bilbo gives him the ring, which Frodo inherits. Uh, and Frodo inherits much more than being able to become invisible. You know, this is the trick that Bilbo used to play, and this is the trick he, he did at the end of his big speech and his big celebration for when he's leaving the Shire and he disappears. Yeah. And um, sometimes I always wonder myself, like, why does Bilbo leave the ring to Frodo knowing that it'll constantly bring him to the brink of death and... Not only danger, but like mental deterioration, because clearly Bilbo has been mentally affected by the ring, like big time. And you can tell by like 
the snap scene the scene that he yeah. snaps on Frodo is terrifying ah. because he's such a warm fun character then you see this horrible evil, evil monster hiding inside of him yeah. trying to get out as soon as he like asks to see the ring and after he gives it to, to Frodo him, I think him giving the ring to Frodo is him saving his soul himself his yeah. own soul yeah yeah probably because I felt like he could he would have always been stuck in the darkness of the ring if he wasn't able to give it give it to Frodo yeah because Bilbo doesn't know what's about to happen to Frodo yeah he doesn't he has no idea he just wants to pass the burden on. Yeah. And so basically, you know, uh, once Frodo gets the ring and the home, and then, I almost said Dumbledore, <laughs> then Gandalf sets him up on the quest to destroy the One Ring. Mm. And then, but his investigation is what leads him to discuss it with Saruman, which gets Saruman to uh, get on their tail about, oh, he, he learns that they have the ring, which sets him on the pursuit of them. But then this forms the, the, the early stages of the gang. Uh, this forms the early stages of the gang where the, the four hobbits get together and they're, they're off on their little journey together. Yeah, Merry and Pippin are so freaking funny in, the, yeah. in these movies. They're hysterical. Definitely, obviously, comic relief. But then they eventually grow as characters too and they get separated later along, along the lines. Yeah, they have very important roles to play. But, but right now, they're very innocent they're kind of fun to look at with their big feet, and they know they don't wear shoes. They don't understand what's going on. Yeah, I don't think any of them really do yeah. until like the scenes when they're being chased by the ring wraiths. Yeah, and that's when shit starts at the fan. When they when they and then they link up with Aragorn, who's who's who they know as Strider up to this point, and um, they're at the bar, and this the first time we actually see the power of the ring is when uh I keep almost calling him Elijah is when Frodo orders the drinks at the bar, and then he slips. And the ring um, slips out of his out of his pocket, and he goes to grab it. And it, there's this amazing shot where the ring it follows the ring falling onto his finger, and then he disappears. But we see what he sees when he's wearing the ring, which is like this alternate alternate dimension in which Sauron can can see him. And it's an incredible reveal and a great moment to understand the power of this ring. It, it brings you into the world of like what this ring is capable of because when Bilbo disappears, you don't see what Bilbo sees, mm-hmm. but now we understand what the ring is really like. And you can tell it's very cool and it seems like an awesome trick, but also it, it seems very dark and seems evil. seems like an evil power. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like he's in a nightmare mm-hmm. or like in like a, instead of like purgatory to get into heaven, he's in purgatory to get to hell or something like that. Exactly. It's, kind of, it's yeah. pretty scary. Yeah. And this this brings them um, Aragorn to, to link up with them. And he hides them from the wraiths, who are terrifying villains. Um, they actually they developed the scream of the wraiths by recording possums at night. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Most of those possum screams. And the wraiths, they're um, the ring wraiths. They're former kings, right? Yeah, former kings. And now uh, they serve Sauron, and their duty is to collect the ring. It's kind of like Dementors. <laughs> <laughs> but it has that great cross-cutting scene, just like in Silence of the Lambs. Same kind of thing where the wraiths show up at what we think is the Hobbit's hotel room and it looks like they're sleeping in the bed and the wraiths each go to one bed and um, we see and it cuts with each of the Hobbits sleeping in bed, just close-ups of their faces and then the wraiths raise their swords and bring them down on the beds and then it cuts to the Hobbits and they're still peacefully sleeping in their hotel room and they hear the screams of the wraiths and then it cuts back to the wraiths and they realize... It was a trick, and there's no one in the beds. Mm-hmm. So it's that great cut, same kind of thing they do in Silence of the Lambs, where you think that the villain is at a certain location where the the 
protagonists are, but they actually aren't. Yeah. So they escape. They escape the ring race this time. Yeah. But next, they continue their journey. Oh, but first, before that happens, there's an iconic shot where they hide underneath that tree trunk, and this is the first time we see a wraith in person, and it gets off his horse, and you can see that it's just gigantic and it's it's terrifying, and it's looking out everywhere for them. And the four of them are just hiding on there. They're terrified. And it's such an iconic image for the series to show the power that Sauron has behind his forces. It's a great introduction to the Ring Wraiths who we'll continuously see throughout the trilogy. Yeah. And so they escape the Ring Wraiths for now until they go and camp out on this cliffside or this little this little ridge. And this is where the Ring Wraiths come to attack them again. Yeah. So Frodo wakes up from the middle of the night because the, his other hobbit friends, you know, they're hobbits. They eat like 12 meals a day. And they're Second bonehead. breakfast. Oh, he hasn't heard of second breakfast. <laughs> so they have like 10 meals a day and then he wakes up to them laughing and cooking and they have a fire going and Frodo realizes what they've done. Mm. They're they're being chased by these evil monsters and they just lit a fire. Mm. So obviously they're going to be able to see it and this is where the ringwraiths come to attack them. Aragorn comes to save them. However... Frodo gets stabbed by one of the ring rates, which mean, which isn't a normal wound. It's a, it's not a mortal wound, and if he doesn't get it treated, he'll become a ring wraith himself. So this is what leads them leads Aragorn to having to bring him to um, the elf in Riven, their elves in Rivendell. Before that, can I just interject? Yeah. So that fight with Aragorn and the wraiths, that was the first bit of footage that uh, Peter Jackson sent to the studio. I think it was the fifth day of shooting, um, and. As a way to prove that the shoot was going well, he decided the footage I'm going to send them is this battle, so I hope it goes well. And it was Vigo's first day on set, like we said earlier. And so they shot it, got the dailies back the next day, and it looked fantastic. They sent it to the studio, and the studio was like, okay, keep going, guys. So it was a very important scene for the production as well. Pretty crazy. Yeah. All right, so moving on after this, um, Frodo is taken by Elf R12 Elven Haven of Rivendell. And where he's to be healed by her father, Elrond. Mm-hmm. And this is where um, Liv Tyler, I think this is one of my favorite roles of Liv Tyler. Probably my favorite role of Liv Tyler. She's, she's phenomenal in this movie. And so badass to see this this chase sequence of her with Frodo on the horse being chased by the uh, ring wraiths on horse. Mm-hmm. And how close they are to catching him. And it's an awesome horse race, which you don't see very often anymore in like Hollywood or big movies. Just yeah. like these awesome horse races. Now it's just Fast and Furious car chases. And it's just so badass where she gets to... Gets to the her land and across that river. the river, and then she has the river take them all out. Mm-hmm. It's a great scene. It's very tense. It's the first sign of magic that we've seen. And so now we're in Rivendell, where uh, Frodo links up with Gandalf. So this is where we get um, the first parts of Aragorn and his past relationship and the building of the rest of his relationship with um, Erwan. Mm-hmm. We learn that they have a long history, um, and Aragorn even speaks Elvish, so he's kind of part of that society in a way yeah but you can tell that we have this tension between elrond and aragorn because elrond doesn't want his daughter to marry a man because that means that she won't go on to become immortal like the rest of the elves mm. and she'll pass that on to become uh, mortal yeah she he doesn't want her daughter to die which is uh a back and forth exchange that we deal with throughout the rest of the film yeah and then frodo meets with bilbo um, that's where he does that scary face thing. <laughs> but um, it's pretty much a goodbye to Bilbo because Bilbo's aging quickly, and it seems as though he's gonna die. <laughs> seems as though he's gonna die pretty soon. Yeah, he's aged a lot more yeah. quickly than the last time we saw him. Yeah. But this is where 
the council meeting happens. And this is where we get the team. The, the fellowship. Up. This is where the, the fellowship first of the, the original ring. Avengers. Yeah, because Elrond does not want the ring in Revendell much longer. He yeah. wants it to be gone, and he wants them to continue their journey. Mm-hmm. And this is where that infamous fight and the big fight and screaming and yelling Argument. match uh, happens between all the different creatures and the humans and the elves and the dwarves. It's where and, we meet all the new characters. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, of course, who speaks up but Frodo? He says that he'll take the ring yeah. to Mordor, to Mount Doom, to put it into the volcano to destroy it forever. Proving again why he's the one who can do this. Exactly. It's a, it's a perfect metaphor why Frodo has to be the one. He's the only creature in, middle, in Middle-earth that can accomplish the mission. Yeah. And then also probably the best thing to come out of the scene is the uh, infamous Sean Bean meme. One does not simply bring the walk the ring into Mordor. <laughs> Probably the most most used meme. It's hilarious. Everyone yeah. knows what it is. Yeah. And so the fellowship consists of Frodo and the fellow hobbits, Merry, Sam, and Pippin. Uh, the two men, Aragorn and Boromir, played by Sean Bean. Legolas the elf, Gimli the dwarf, and Gandalf the squad. Hell yeah. Squad up, kid. <laughs> No B-Squad in this, except for maybe Merry and Pippin. (laughs) (laughs) And so now we got our team assembled, Avengers assembled, we're ready to go. And now it begins the journey to Mordor, which first leads them up the mountain. Mm, So Saruman spies and his birds spot them climbing up the mountain, and they cause an avalanche. Yeah, he causes uh, intense weather to form. And so then it stops them from being able to continue on that route, so then they have to go through the forest, which is when they run into the elves. And which is when we learn through Kay Planchett's character, Galadriel, that Frodo is the only person, who, the only being that can carry out this duty. And that it's going to be him alone. He's, even though he's with a group, it's going, to be, it's going to come down to him. I mean, and she gives him that eternal light. Yeah. But he also get, he gives her a chance to take the ring from him. And she, uh, she passes the test. And next we get to the best part of the movie, I think, mm-hmm. is when we're, we finally get to see some, some crazy action stuff going on. And we walk, and they make it to the Mines of Moria. Mm. I think it's probably my favorite part of the film. Because, it's the biggest set piece, yeah. Because the way that Gimli talks it up, he's like, oh, I can't wait. to They'll welcome us with open arms. We'll yeah. have bowls of food. It'll be amazing. You'll see, the, you'll see the might of the underground dwarf city and everything. And then when they get in, once Gandalf does that spell, and obviously they get past that evil. That, that water monster. The thing in the lake. Yeah. Um, and then it's empty. And there's just bones everywhere, and it's dark, and there's no one alive, and it's just like, where are all the dwarves, and where have they all gone? What happened to them all? And it's just, it brings this airy chill down your spine because you were expecting a warm welcome, you were expecting uh, safety for all the characters, you're expecting a nice night uh, in, in comfortable beds, but now they have <laughs> darkness and death ahead of them. And it shows that parts of the parts of Middle Earth have been overtaken by um, Sauron's army. Yeah, maybe they, they the characters didn't understand the extent of how quickly they were spreading throughout Middle Earth. Yeah, there's no there's no uh, media and news to <laughs> keep people informed. <laughs> no Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> but then this leads to um, that iconic fight in that uh, in that giant room. Um, when I think it's Merry or Pippin knocks down that that uh, dead body in the tombs. Yeah, in the tombs. You know, you, no, yeah, he knocks down like the skeleton. Yeah, and it, it, it falls, it falls down. and it crashes. It's hilarious scene. And, and then Gandalf's like, "Fool, you fool!" <laughs> but I love the bucket crashes down. Then like, there's more bones falling yeah, yeah. down. It's just yeah, like this it's slow, never loud crumble. Yeah. But then that, and then after that, you hear the shrieking and the roaring of the orcs, and you're like, "Oh fuck, what's gonna happen?" And then they know it's just a matter of time until they're overrun, so then they prepare for battle. 
Do you know that this scene when they're uh, discovering the tomb and everything, and before I think before they knock everything down, um, Viggo Mortensen, um, yeah. Peter Jackson had to film only one side of his face because surfing was like a big hobby between the cast and crew, which they would like do on the weekends and stuff. Mm. And I guess Viggo had like a really bad wipeout and he bruised like horribly bruised one side of his face and it was like swollen and it was so badly it was so bad looking that makeup couldn't do anything about it so that peter jackson's like well i'll just film one side of your face <laughs> so next time you watch that scene watching you'll see aragorn's only film from one side i have to watch it again now after after hearing that that's crazy but also before we get to the fight this is this uh the minds of moria is where we're introduced to Gollum for the first time he's just off in the distance but and Ian McKillen gives us a little backstory about him. Um, so it's the first um, time we ever see him. Yeah, I think he calls him one of the lake folk or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Orcs and orcs and like evil elves come and then... And the troll. The troll. The, the, the giant troll scene. comes. So now we get to see what all these characters are capable of. We get to see how great of a fighter Aragorn is, Aragorn is even though we mm -hmm. got a taste of it all already. We get to see Legolas in action. We get to see Gimli in action. Even Gandalf's getting his getting his hands bloody. Yeah. And, and the hobbits are holding their own too, which yeah, is yeah. always funny when you see the hobbits fighting. Yeah, it's, it's like, like, how do they even produce that much energy to like <laughs> to, to fight someone full grown? <laughs> but um, it's a crazy epic scene, man. It really mm -hmm. sets up, sets the tone for the rest of the battle. And it really was a, a, a breakthrough for special effects with in terms of the troll. Um, being used in a live action situation, it looked. It, I mean, it still looks good to this day. You, it still looks believable, especially when you have a hobbit on its shoulders and yeah. like it's really an actor up there for half the shots. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so obviously they they defeat this little uh, this little group of villains, and then it comes down to the climax of the film where they get to that. I don't know where they are. This giant, huge, expansive room with just those columns, and then you can just hear this army. Just going after them, and bows and arrows yeah. are starting to fly at them. Yeah. So who knows how many how many um, orcs are after them? And then you hear the scream of the Balrog, and it scares away the army. And you're like, "What the hell is this?" Then, and then it begins that famous chase sequence of the the Fellowship trying to escape the caverns, where this gigantic demon like creature is chasing after them. It's awesome. It's so badass. And this is where we get that iconic line from Gandalf as they're crossing that bridge and he he lets the fellowship go ahead of him and this is a very sad part of the film because this is where Gandalf is going to sacrifice himself to save everybody else mm. and he gets that line you, you shall not pass and it's badass yeah. and um the bridge you can see the power that he has with this moment cuz this yeah. this is giant demon like creature and he stopped it in its tracks yeah, and then the bridge crumbles after mm. the Fellowship passes, but Gandalf has to run back. You think it's going to be okay. You think he's going to make it, but he, he grabs onto the edge of the cliff, the cavern, but then right before he falls, he goes, run, you fools. And then fly, he falls down. He's, fly, you fools. And then it's very emotional because Frodo screams because he loves Gandalf. They all love Gandalf. Mm. And to watch one of their, their – they're basically their leader of the quest – fall and yeah. to his death yeah is, is a horrible thing to see for them and mm. it's obviously it's tough on all of them and, and you see the effects of it once they escape the cavern and escape the caves but they don't even have time to mourn they they they're there for a moment but then aragorn's like we gotta get going yeah. like we have to go they don't yeah. even have a second to, to take a breath yeah it's not until they're out of the cave when they're just all like i can't believe what just happened yeah and then this leads to the final battle um they take the the boats up the river and then when they uh, make camp, um, this is when 
Boromir tries to take the ring from Frodo. Exactly. Showing why Frodo, again, is the only creature who can take it. Because even Boromir, who's a great man and a Mm -hmm. great warrior and seems like a noble, loyal person, gets corrupted by the ring. Yeah, and he gets... uh, he, he, he attacks Frodo and tries to steal it from him you, under the false pretense that he's just trying to help him. But like all the others before who, who took the ring, they took it because out of their desire for power. Yeah, and then Sean Bean, I mean, and then Boromir realizes what he's done yeah. and tries to redeem himself, which he does by yeah, fighting off the orcs and sacrificing himself for yeah. the hobbit Frodo to get away. Yeah, Boromir's death was, it was tragic because... Yeah, he, he, he attacked Frodo, but then he offered himself up in defense of them to help them get away. And then watching, like, he just gets hit with arrow after arrow after arrow, and he's just still standing. He's like, go at me, bro! <laughs> he's got, like, three <laughs> arrows in his chest. But what what happens is, like, there's that one orc who's, like, the leader, and he's got that handprint on his face. And he's, Lurts. Yeah, he's the biggest and the baddest one. And he you see him throughout the film, especially when Saruman... Um, is building the army, and you see him born. You can just tell, even among all these monstrous orcs, he's the alpha among them. He's mm-hmm. absolutely uh, terrifying. And then he just goes up to Boromir with his longbow, and just like he's like point blank range, just shoots a fucking arrow at him. It's insane. <laughs> it's a little excessive. Yeah, it was terrifying. It was awful. But um, Sean Bean, the guy has died so many times in movies. So many deaths. He's died 23 times on screen, so 21 times in movies. And he's actually at the point in his career that he's refusing and turning down roles where the character he would play dies because he can't take it anymore. I bet. I don't blame him. He, he, has, he, he like hasn't died in like seven movies. That's it. <laughs> that's seven things that he hasn't died in. Yeah, The Martian and like... <laughs> and I think he, he knows like, I don't want to be in a movie because where I die because everyone's going to be like, oh, Sean Bean's in this. Yeah, obviously, the character's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously he's been blessed with an amazing career. Yeah. But still it's a it's a tough blow to the fellowship because Boromir was a, another great warrior for them mm-hmm. and protector of of the weaker of the group of the hobbits yeah. and everything. And then this is when the the fellowship gets split up into three factions because it, it, in the battle Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas they're going to town on all these orcs but there's just too many they're overrun. And without uh knowing it um, Merry and Pippin get kidnapped by them because the orcs think that these two hobbits are the ones with the ring. Um, and then while that's happening, Frodo and Sam manage to escape by boat on the river. Um, and then after that, the trio, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, they kill all the guys in their area and they have to decide what they're going to do from now on because they see that bo- both pairs of hobbits have split up they obviously know that Frodo is is carrying out his quest and they know where he's going. And they don't feel like they can help them on their quest. So they decide the best thing to do is to, to track down Merry and Pippin and try and save them. Which is probably the most noble thing to do. Yeah, and it sets up the second film. Yeah. And so this movie is fantastic. It's the, it's the great introduction to the world, to the story. Um, one of my one of the best parts of it is there's so many like effective villains in this movie too. Yeah. I mean, we've got Sauron... Nazgul, Saruman, Watcher in the Water, the Cave Troll, Balrog, and Lurts. Yeah, tons of villains Crazy. to match like all the interesting characters. So it's it's fun to have like a a, a story with so many obstacles mm. that they have to overcome. Yeah, and how like they're constantly being bad. There's all these battles that they have to go through. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's entertaining as hell. Yeah, and it really makes you feel more empathy for the characters. Oh yeah, and then. 
it's such a great ending, especially with the mo- emotional climax of Boromir's death. And then you think it's you when you watch this film for the first time, you think the Fellowship of the Ring it's going to be this group the entire trilogy, but watching them get split up, you understand this is not going to be an easy task by any means for any of them, and they have there are real challenges ahead. And this it's only just beginning. It's going to get harder from here on out. Now we see the weight of the journey that the Ring poses. <laughs> well said. <laughs> So before we move on to Two Towers, I wanted to give some fun trivia about Fellowship of the Ring. Jake Gyllenhaal auditioned for the role of Frodo, and he was so bad that he was almost laughed out of the audition. <laughs> and the, the worst part about it was he did an American accent, not knowing that it had to be a British accent. And so then after he was doing an American accent, Peter Jackson stopped him and was like, you have to do an English accent for this. And he had not prepared one, so he was fumbling through an English accent, and he said it was the worst audition of his life. And he's, he wasn't super famous yet. Yeah. yeah, I think he had just done Donnie Darko, and that's it. Sean Bean is terrified of heights, and so a lot of this film takes place on high mountaintops that required helicopters to take the actors up to these incredibly high spots. And since he was horrified of going in a helicopter... He opted instead to uh, spend two hours hiking up these mountains before shooting each day. In wardrobe. In wardrobe. So they would fly up the crew, and cast and crew would fly up in helicopters, and they'd yeah. see Sean Bean in wardrobe as Boromir hiking up the mountain every day. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, which is, in terms of action, the best of the three, probably. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, they, especially the Battle of Helm's Deep. It's high octane, man. Um, and the opening of this film is literally nothing short of epic because yeah. it opens with the Battle of Balrog. And, you know, when the last film ends, when Fellowship ends, again, Gandalf sacrificed himself, and you think he's dead. And then you get to see that he actually went on this crazy journey. Yeah. And so... They this show, incredible, incredible battle. They show they show when he falls down with Balrog and how he just starts fighting in midair while they're <laughs> falling with the sword. It's like, what the fuck? This is crazy. Never seen anything like this you in my cut life. right into the action. And he's like, the great thing about Gandalf, he's not afraid of anything. Yeah. He just knowingly fell to his death. And even though he thinks he's going to die and probably will die, he's just beating the shit out of this demon <laughs> with a like, sword. He's like, fuck this demon. And then it guts to that amazing wide shot where... Where they're inside this huge cave and there's a pool of water and they're falling down and it's such a wide shot and there's the flames of the demon's body is glowing and it's just and, it and there's the choir singing and it's just this unbelievably epic moment which will become synonymous with the return of the king where these incredibly epic shots paired with the choirs just brings about this amazing feeling and this incredible moment. I honestly think that's my favorite shot in the entire franchise. It's my second favorite when, shot. When he's, they're just falling down that dark cavern. And yeah. again, like you said, super wide and everything just slowly illuminates from the fire off of a Balrog's body. Yeah. And, and then it cuts. And then they're fighting atop that mountain, which is the highest peak in all of Middle Earth. And then um, Gandalf, like a badass, just fucking slays this guy with his sword. <laughs> 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 this old man with a sword <laughs> well what they, what they don't explain in the movies is that um, beings like like Gandalf and like Aragorn they have they're actually much stronger than humans are they don't say it but like that's why they're able to fight all these guys no problem because they're actually extremely powerful physically and so he, he fucks this guy up kills him and then we see that he's just lying on the edge of the cliff and then it cuts to the back to the story so I love the opening. It's a yeah. great way to get this going. It's like right away, this is going to be an epic, ep- epic movie. Yeah, because like the first one, it's a little slow for the first act. So bringing us right into some action is what gets the audience invested in. Okay, I'm ready for this movie. 
And so the the next story begins and like the last film ended, the fellow the fellowship has been split up into three parties. And so we're off with Samwise and Frodo on their journey separately where they've just even though they know they've been split up, they know that they can't go back to regroup. They have to go on with their journey and their quest to to find Mordor and to find Mount Doom. But things aren't going so well. They're actually lost and they're walking in circles. So they're they don't know which way to go because everything where they are, this environment, everything looks the same. Mm-hmm. And then here comes Gollum, where <laughs> they they don't see him at first. It's yeah, they smell they him. Smell him. Sam is like, you smell that? That stench it smells like a bug or something like that. Yeah. And then he must smell real bad. <laughs> and then Frodo tells him, I don't think it's a, a it's we a aren't bug. alone. No, we he are- says. We aren't alone. Yeah, and then they start talking about because Frodo knows because Gandalf told him about about Gollum when they saw him in the in the mines. Yeah, and so Gollum tries to attack them to get the ring back, which then obviously they overpower him and threaten his life with their swords. Yeah, but then Frodo persuades Gollum to lead them to Black Gate of Mordor. Yeah, so Gollum becomes their guide, which is what they needed. Yeah, and then back in Rohan, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli are in pursuit of the Iroquois. They've been running for like four days straight. Dude, like they, like I, I run for a minute and I'm dying. Like how did they run so long? I mean, I, I get I get Aragorn and Legolas, but Gimli running like all this time. Not a drop of sweat on them. They don't even take a break. I don't see a red face anywhere. How is their hair not sopping wet with sweat? Seriously. And they're wearing all that gear. Gimli's wearing a goddamn helmet. No food. No water. They're just, just going nonstop. Like are they all track stars? I have no idea. They weren't running before this. But they explain um, that there's like dark evil and dark magic behind the orcs, which is why they're able to keep moving so fast endlessly. But yeah, it's pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) And this is where we run into the Rohan warriors and we meet badass Carl Urban for the first time. Carl Urban's so cool in this movie. He really is. He's a badass. He's the man. He's like the Aragorn of, uh, of Rohan. And then he's the son of King Theodon. Yeah. Who is the king of Rohan. And we're also, we also learn that He's been basically possessed or under a trance of uh, Soromon mm. thanks to uh, Grima Wormtongue, mm. who is secretly obviously in the service of Soromon. Yeah. And so he has his, Soromon has just control over King Theodon, and Theodon has just been emaciated to just old man. Like he's been Benjamin Buttoned in reverse. And he's just like <laughs> super old and withering away, and he's bringing the kingdom down through him. In the meeting with the Rohan warriors, um, Carl Urban gives the the trio a pair of horses, and they use these horses to to travel across the landscape, and they enter the woods, which is when they run into the White Wizard. Yeah, and they think it's Saruman. So the way that Peter Jackson filmed it was he actually filmed um, both Ian McKillen and Christopher Lee in this shot, and he also used Christopher Lee's voice for some of the dialogue, because the way it's shot is... This wizard is backlit with this incredibly bright light, so we can't see what his face looks like. But we can hear Christopher Lee's voice, but then it kind of blends into Ian McKillen's voice. And then when Aragorn tells him to finally reveal himself, we see that it's actually Gandalf. But he's not Gandalf the Grey, he's Gandalf the White. His hair is straight and clean, his robes are white and pure. And he tells them the story about how he defeated the um, Balrog, how he defeated the Balrog, and... He thought it was going to be his time to die, but then he was sent back to Middle Earth to help them on their quest. And it wasn't his time anymore. Yeah, it wasn't his time yet. Yeah. And it's an awesome reveal because you're scared. The first time you see this, you're scared for the characters because it's like, oh man, Saruman's here. Yeah. And even Aragorn, like, be quick. 
and like <laughs> they, they can't mess this up or else they're gonna die uh-huh. and then you realize it's Gandalf you're like Gandalf and it's crazy because they can't even fight Gandalf at all like yeah. he destroys them no problem yeah. and Gandalf doesn't rec- realize who he is at first but then he re- remembers the name he's like Gandalf the Grey Gandalf the Grey that's what they used to call me <laughs> <laughs> but what's crazy about Gandalf is it's like what exactly happened to him and the thing is Gandalf is not a mortal being he was sent down on the Middle Earth originally because he he's kind of like a deity. He's kind of like uh, an, an immortal being, like an angel. And essentially, he's one of these one of he's one of a few angels that were sent down to Middle Earth to um, help um, the beings of Middle Earth. And so his body, his physical form, can be destroyed, but he technically can't be killed. So what happened was when his body was killed, he was sent back up into the heavens, whatever the, whatever the gods of Middle-earth are, and since they deemed him still necessary to the, to the purpose of the task at hand, they sent him back down to Earth, but they gave him, like, superpowers again. More superpowers. Cool. They, like, made him Super Saiyan. <laughs> <laughs> Gandalf is Super Saiyan now. That he's Gandalf the White. It's a good comparison. Yeah. He doesn't just have... Instead of just screaming... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He defeats a demon. And then during this, Merry and Pippin are hanging out with Treebeard in all those trees... <laughs> It's probably the, the most boring part of the entire franchise. It definitely is the most boring part. <laughs> but again, it's a necessary part of the story. Yeah, it's important. And it's interesting CGI and, and great special effects. Great practical, CGI. Practical and digital special effects. Yeah, they built a 16-foot uh, tree beard in real life. And then we go to Gollum um, is leading Frodo and Sam to Mordor. And there's this great scene, which kind of is a, a great moment for the characterization between Frodo and Gollum, where... Frodo is enticed by the waters of the, like these marshes, and um, he ends up falling in, and da- in the depths of the lake or the marshes are these like dead souls or ghosts that are coming to to capture Frodo forever. Mm-hmm. Before, right before he gets taken by these ghost beings, Gollum saves Frodo, and even Frodo comes out of the water, and he's like. Gollum. He's, he's surprised, surprised that yeah. Gollum saved him. And this is a big moment for Frodo to start building trust for yeah. Gollum. And again, it leads more to when we get to the Gates of Mortar. So talk about when we get to the Gates of Mortar. Gollum brings, like he like he asked, he brings Frodo and Sam to the Black Gate. And this is the first time we get to see what Sauron's, like pretty much Sauron's home looks like. Mm-hmm. And the, the Gates of Mortar. Yeah, the Gates of Mortar. And they built this gate practically. It was a, a miniature which they and then they digitally put the actors on top of the gate, but it, the scale of the gate when the those evil soldiers walk in, they are so tiny com- in comparison to the gate. This gate must be like two hundred, three hundred feet tall, and it's so imposing and so intimidating. And then it shows like the true power of Sauron and how much, how many resources he has at his disposal to be able to build just a gate of this size. Seems unstoppable. And then they have trolls that are opening it, so like they have trolls in their army that they use as servants and it's just like unbelievable to see how strong this army can be. And so again here, yeah. like before, Fro- so Gollum saved Frodo's life before they get here yeah. in the marshes. So he's established this trust. Again, he saves their lives again where yeah. he he refuses to let them he let them go to the gates and try to sneak in because he thinks, he knows they'll die. He knows they'll be killed. And Frodo believes him because he understands that Gollum does not want the ring to get in the hands of Sauron. So clearly 
he he Gollum truly believes that they would die if they went to the gate. Yeah, and Gollum's trying to convince them that there's another path. It's a darker path, but there's another path to get into Mordor. And then Sam is always suspicious. He's like, why didn't you mention it before? And Gollum's like, you guys told me to bring you to the Black Gate. I don't know what the fuck you wanted. I'm just doing what you asked me to do. <laughs> I'm a fucking weird thing. Like, all right, I'm not that smart. But, um, <laughs> but Frodo says this great line where he says he's been true to his word. Which shows a lot of character development between Frodo and Gollum. And now Frodo is starting to trust Gollum. This is twice now that he's technically saved his life. Mm -hmm. He's beginning to feel empathy for him. Um, He also has scenes where he talks about Gollum and says that he wasn't much different than a hobbit himself. Mm -hmm. Being one of the lake folk. So Frodo is starting to build a relationship with Gollum, as odd as that sounds. Yeah, well the thing is, when Samwise looks at Gollum, he sees this disgusting creature you can't trust. It's maniacal. He's treacherous. He just wants to kill him, and he wants to take the ring for himself. But when Frodo looks at Gollum, he understands what the ring did to this did to this being because he's dealing with it himself. He understands how the ring can corrupt your mind and, and destroy your soul. So he empathizes with him because he's he's experiencing that right now. He's empathizing with Schmeagol. Yeah. So now Frodo is developing this relationship with the Schmeagol side of Gollum. Mm-hmm. And whereas Sam Wise only sees Gollum. Yeah. And this will lead to more yeah. issues later on. Yeah. And so uh, Gollum starts taking them on this new journey. And then we cut to the trio with Gandalf show up at Rohan, which is an incredible real set that the crew built just for these scenes, built atop this small mountain. Um, and like we said before, the tangibility of the set really adds to the realism of, of the film. Yeah, it's beautiful. And yeah. I love the way they enter the castle where they have to take their swords and their weapons away. And yeah. then Gandalf pretends like he's like, you wouldn't part an old man of his walking stick, would you? And the guy's like, all right, whatever. Yeah, yeah whatever. You can come <laughs> on in. And this is where we see Gandalf free Theodon from Saruman's control. Yeah. But he doesn't, Saruman doesn't know that he's the white wizard yet. Yeah. He thinks he's still Gandalf the Grey, which means he's basically like a lower class of wizard. Yeah. If there's a hierarchy, he's like, he's like level two yeah. now. Second tier. Yeah, yeah. So he's not as powerful as the white wizard at like Saruman. Mm-hmm. He hasn't evolved yet. He doesn't take the evolution. <laughs> Third stone evolution. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is where he confronts Theodon and um, he tells the worm tongue to, to put his tongue behind, behind his teeth. <laughs> and then, um, Obviously, he takes off his robe after Saruman says, you have no power here, Gandalf the Grey, and reveals his power now, and Saruman's taken aback, and Gandalf releases Theoden of the spell that has been cast on Saruman, and it's a great digital effect sequence where yeah. you show this this one shot with um, Theoden and his daughters looking at him, where it's just like this dissolve basically of him being old to young real mm-hmm. fast, and it's, it's a great effect, and it looks it still holds up to yeah, today. Yeah, he de-ages by like forty years in a couple of seconds, and it looks good. Theoden is uh, a great king and an honorable man, and uh, we immediately like him. But he's also dealing with the death of his son, so he he instantly mourns um, that loss, and he says that line: uh, "A parent shouldn't have to bury their their child." which is extremely touching, and it's a very emotional scene. And then we're also introduced uh, a little before then to his daughter, Ewan, mm. who plays a significant role throughout the rest of the trilogy. Yeah. Because she, you know, falls in love with Aragorn eventually. Yeah. And he's like, yo, I got a girl. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, who gave you that necklace? He's like, back off, girl. <laughs> like, oh, baby mama. No, Liv Tyler, I'm hitting that. <laughs> I got an elf. 
I got an elf lady. You ever been with an elf? It's wild. <laughs> She's thousands of years old. She's done so much shit. You don't even believe. Theoden gets control of his kingdom yeah. and banishes Wormtongue. Um, but also, this is what leads to the climax of the film, where Theoden thinks his the best decision as king is to have his people um, go flee to Helm's Deep yeah. in the keep to prevent being killed and overrun by the Orakai. Yeah, Aragorn believes that he should they should stand up and fight. Um, but Theoden's doing what what he thinks is best for his people, so they they leave. Yeah. I understand he's trying to protect his people. Yeah. He doesn't want anyone to die. Mm-hmm. And he thinks Helm's Deep is impenetrable. Yeah. So he thinks it's the right decision. Yeah. While this is happening, Frodo and Sam are captured by Faramir, um, Boromir's uh younger brother. And then this is a very important sequence. This, this is probably the most important sequence between Frodo and, and Gollum because um, Foromir convinces Frodo to betray Gollum. And so Frodo tricks Gollum into getting captured by them as well. And this betrayal of trust um, has heavy consequences down the line. Because now Gollum's going to basically take control over the being because Schmeagol's basically been in the driver's seat now yeah. because he's had this great relationship with his master. He's happy to serve his master yeah. now. And so him and Frodo have this great relationship going on, which has given him the strength to keep Gollum down. Mm. But now it's all about to change. And there's that great scene. Um, before this happens, there's a, this great scene where we get to see the two personalities arguing with each other, Schmeagol and Gollum. And... It's an amazing in uh, it's an it's an amazing look at how Gollum's mind works and how he part of him is innocent, part of him is still good, it's still in there. But the ring created this other facet to him that has completely dominated the the true side of him. So the Rohan nation is uh fleeing on foot and by horseback, traveling to Helm's Deep. And then this is where those giant fucking hyena like creatures Yeah, those things are weird. Yeah, attack the attacked him the cavalry and there's that incredible fight with these with the orcs riding these monstrous beasts attacking the the cavalry and these things are just ferocious and terrifying before the fight starts though and they see them coming for them yeah there's this great shot of legolas just like slowly like holding his bow back and tracking these things and he hits like two or three of them before they come and it's just like an awesome epic shot that I love. Yeah, it's so show, badass. Show how fucking skilled this guy is. <laughs> and then there's this really funny moment where Gimli gets attacked but he kills the beast that attacked him but it falls on top of him and it's smothering him. And he's like, oh, it's so, it's like, oh, fuck. And then a, then an orc jumps on top of him and he kills the orc. And he then snaps its neck. He snaps its neck and the orc falls on top of him. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> and then another monstrous beast jumps, climbs on top of him. And then Aragorn kills it, saving him just in time. But then that falls on top of him, too. <laughs> so he's being smothered by these three giant bodies. But this battle, although they defeat them, they do lose men and they lose, most importantly, Aragorn falls off a cliff mm-hmm. because he gets stuck onto one of those hy- hyena things. Yeah, and, his hand gets stuck in a strap. Yeah, and it falls, and he falls and tumbles down down the cliffside into a river. Great shot, because Peter Jackson doesn't follow him. He just he just uh, holds the camera. Aragorn falls off the cliff, and then it's just quiet. It's a, it's a tragic moment, because we think Aragorn's dead, and he's been probably the one of the... Uh, and he's been an important figure for the film. Faramir takes um, Frodo... Um, Gollum and Sam into a city 
which is uh, being attacked by orcs. Um, and ring wraiths. And ring wraiths. And this is where Frodo encounters a wraith on rings, where it's on this gigantic dragon-like serpent monster. And there's this incredible moment where he walks to the ledge of this building and he's tempted to just put the ring on in front of the wraith and it's in slow motion. And Such then, a cool shot. Great shot. But then Samwise grabs him at the last second and they fall down those steps. But when we get to see, this is the first moment we get to see the effect that the ring is having on Frodo because after Sam saves him, Frodo pulls out his sword and holds it to his throat like he's about to kill him. And it takes Frodo several moments to realize that it's just Sam. Um, so we can see how the, the ring is corrupting his mind. All right, anyways, but also next up what's happening is we're back with Merry and Pippin in uh, Fangorn Forest. With, we got to touch on the tree beard oh, yeah, people. Yeah. And um, Merry and Pippin are trying to convince the, the tree beards um, the, in other the Ents, Ents, in other Ents uh, to hold a council to decide on whether the Ents will go to war with Soromon. Mm. And the Ents eventually tell them that it's not their fight. The hobbits should go home. And they basically lose hope until um, the Pippin wants to show the Ents what Saruman has done with Isengard to the land and how much destruction he's had on the earth and with other trees. And basically it's a really smart move because it convinces the Ents to go to war and reclaim Isengard and destroy what's going on there and all, all the destruction that they've created. They messed that place up. Yeah, man. And that's where they're they're building like they're creating like orcs that's, and stuff. Yeah, that's where Saruman has been building his army. Um and he destroyed most of the forest in order to do so. Um and it's a great scene where the ants just take over that that entire land and dominate all the orcs and they destroy everything they've built and then they um they break the dam and flood the entire place out. Yeah, I love the shots where some of them their heads are on fire yeah, and they're just they, ducking inside the water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great scene. And then Saruman's up on his tower, like, freaking out, like, what the fuck is going on? And meanwhile, also, our homeboy Aragorn is not dead. Uh-uh. Washes up on shore, nudged awake by his horse, Brego. Um, which, Fun fact, he actually bought the horse after production. Oh, I bet they were best buds. Yeah. On the verge of collapse, he wills his horse to take him to Helm's Deep. Yeah. Which is the most epic battle ever, man. And so he gets there, and what he discovers is there isn't much of an army there to defend. Um, most of what Rohan has left are farmers and old men and young boys. And so they're building this, they're, they're preparing for a battle that they can't win. And Legolas can see this clearly. They have a fight, him and Aragorn, where Legolas says it's hopeless. Like most of these people are either too old or too young. They've never even seen battle. But Aragorn, being as honorable as he always is, it's like, I don't care. I'm going to still fight with them, and I'll die I'll die as one of them. It's telling because they have the conversation in Elvish so that yeah. Legolas or Aragorn, they don't want the men to hear what they're actually talking about. Yeah. And then Aragorn says the last line, and I shall die as one of them yeah. in English yeah. so that they all understand in the conversation they just had yeah. and how emotional it really is for, for the two of them, even mm-hmm. Gimli too, because he's part of the trio. Yeah. And the Battle of Helm's Deep is... It's it's so badass, and yeah. I, I've never seen anything like it, really, um, the first time I saw this. Well, the th- what makes it so great is it's all real. They really built Helm's Deep. They really built everything. They really blew it up. Everything's tangible in person. And then you see the numbers of the orcs and the orc oh and it's just terrifying. They're approaching, and it's pouring rain, yeah. and then there's, you can just hear their screams and their horns. 
And even though, and then fortunately, the men they get uh, support from the elves come, so mm-hmm. they they bring some archers and everything. Yeah. But still, they're vastly outnumbered. Yeah. And um, this this, this uh the Battle of Helm's Deep took four months to shoot. Holy crap! Yeah. I and believe three, it. Three months of it was night shoots. It's com- looks complicated. Yeah. And then so the set itself, yes, they built it, but it wasn't exactly to scale to what Helm's Deep would have been in real life, because um, obviously they couldn't afford to build a giant set like that. So what they did is they did the same thing of, they, they did the same force perspective they used to film the hobbits with um, normal sized people. They used force perspective in the architecture. So Peter Jackson would film, say a part of Helm's Deep. And then the background, that's that part of the, of the architecture of the set was actually slowly, it was, it was uh, built to um, force perspective. So, it got smaller and smaller, um, so on camera it looks like it's a far distance when actually it's much smaller than you think. So they use first force perspective to make the entire set look bigger. Stakes for this battle are enormous, but it starts off pretty pretty simple. You know, a bunch of arrows going off and stuff like that, and um, the orcs are using ladders and, and whatnot. But they can't get a bunch of men uh, over the yeah. over the walls of the tower. And um, Theodon even goes, "Is this all you can muster, Saruman or Sauron?" <laughs> yeah. Literally, literally right after he says that. And then, obviously, they don't realize that they have some explosives, which they hinted to earlier in the film mm-hmm. when um, Saruman has, like, this pot full of gunpowder mm-hmm. and uh, Wormtongue looks at it, like, kind of weird because he had a flame. And then Saruman's, like, bashed the yeah. flame away. He's like, he's he's like, like, get it away. He's like, what is that stuff? And so they blow up the freaking wall, which they, they didn't think possible. And the look yeah. on Theoden's face is just like, oh, my fucking God. Holy shit. Holy shit, we're all dead. And then the orcs just erupt in there, and Aragorn gets in there, and it's just an all-out war. It's insane. Yeah. And then later on, after more battling, uh, they have those crazy ladders that they use that like have like yeah. a ton of orcs on traveling up them. But uh, Legolas shoots one down, which is pretty badass. <laughs> But they're overrunning Helm's Deep, and they're taking over. And, and it seems like all is lost already. Yeah, all is lost very they're, quickly. They're breaching the the front door too, and for some reason Theoden's got to go down there and help, and he gets stabbed. <laughs> like this old dude, like come on, like who are you helping, bro? Just go like hang out in the corner. But then there's this great scene where um, Gimli and Aragorn they're trying to sneak around the side of the castle of Helm's Deep to like they have to clear out the bridge to try to clear out the bridge and then Gimli thinks he can jump and then Aragorn's like it's a long way <laughs> but then Gimli's like toss me toss me <laughs> don't tell the elf <laughs> and he tosses him it's so fucking funny yeah, it's great and then they take over the front of the of, of Helm's Deep yeah they Deep clear it up so that they're able to, to board up the door again and then obviously they're losing the battle uh-huh. however there's hope because earlier in the film um, Gandalf hints at Aragorn and the trio hints at them to look east on the fifth day at dawn at first light look east exactly <laughs> took the words out of my mouth <laughs> and then Carl Urban and his homies come they and show the up they save the day it's, it's awesome it's an amazing moment when uh because uh Aragorn leads the, the small cat there's like 10 people left him Theoden and a few other guys and they literally just ride out on their horses and there's this gigantic army of thousands and thousands of orcs, and then they look up, and Gandalf's chilling atop that mountain on his horse, like "What's up?" And then everyone else, and then that the Rohan army just starts pouring down that hill. Yeah, that charge sequence, amazing, amazing sequence. And um, what's really cool is, in order to keep the horses from getting harmed, all of the spears were made out of cardboard. 
That's pretty smart. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they charge the army, and then the sunlight shines right above them, and yeah, it blinds, blinds the orc eye yeah. and the orc, and they just, boom, bash right into this army, yeah. and they, they save the day. Yeah, they, they mess those guys up. It's a great, great moment. And then we see this is a this is a moment where we see oh if if the forces of Middle Earth work together they can defeat this enemy mm-hmm. you know what I mean because it's constantly that back and forth of like Rohan doesn't want to get help from Gondor because where was Gondor before when they needed help yeah and so they all kind of like have bitter feelings towards each other yeah and really if they work together they can stop the army exactly and so battle's over but just as Gandalf says it's only just beginning. And then we're going to go back to Frodo and Gollum because yeah. here's a very important development. This is where... Well, after- first, uh, Faramir sets them free. Okay. He understands the importance of their quest and he lets them go. And then also Gollum, he's with them. However, since he's been betrayed by Frodo when he delivered him to Faramir's men, the darker side of Gollum starts to take over again and reemerges and decides... To reclaim the ring by secretly leading Frodo and Sam to a creature he refers to only as her, which Gollum's lighter self reluctantly agrees to. Not, but not reluctantly, because he he ends up saying yes, yes. He's a little scared at first. Though. At first, but then he eventually gets into total agreement with Gollum that they have to kill them. Yeah, so Gollum corrupts Schmeagol again. Yeah, and then Gollum leads the hobbits on through the woods as Mordor is seen in the distance. Yeah, what and, a great shot. Yeah, it's a pretty great shot. Um. Some fun facts for this movie. The digital rendering of Gollum took six hours for every shot. And so Weta, the the, tech, the uh, artist at Weta had to finish a shot, and then they would render it all night and then wake up in the morning and check on it in the morning. Imagine if they fuck up. They did a lot. <laughs> Sometimes they would mess up, and, and uh, Gollum's eyes would be out of his head, and his hair would be all standing up straight. Like, all weird shit would happen, so it wasn't always perfect. Because the technology was so so early back then. That was in its infancy. Um, a lot, probably most of the Rohan riders were actually women, and they glued beards onto them to make them appear as, the, as though they were men. No way. Yeah. I wonder if it's probably because there are more female equestrians out there. They were there, and they were actually the best riders of all the crew. All right, let's move on to Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, the it- conclusion to this epic trilogy. Amazing story, amazing film franchise, with an amazing, satisfying ending, making this trilogy live on forever. For me, I, this is my favorite Lord of the Rings film. It's, it's. I think it's regarded as the best of them all. Yeah. This one was a big-time Oscar winner. Took it, down a ton of awards. It won 11 out of 11 Oscars. Insane. Cleaned up. Cleaned up. Which is nuts to think of a fantasy film doing that. Yeah, like we said, the Academy has never been very generous to fantasy before this. Um, but let's get right into it. This film opens up... Like the other two, with a a, a scene um, from the past, we get to learn Gollum's history, and we get to see Andy Serkis in live action as Schmeagol before as Schmeagol. he becomes corrupted by the ring. Yeah, and like we learn, as Gandalf said, um, he was once like a hobbit. He seemed to be a good-natured, innocent kind of guy. Um, and then on a picnic with his buddy, they happened upon the ring, the one ring. And Smeagol is the kind of person the the ring had an immediate effect on, and turned him into an instantly into a killer, because him and his buddy start as like a small argument over who the who the ring belongs to. Smeagol, it's his birthday, so it's he's like, like, "It's my birthday, yeah. I should get the ring." Yeah, just give it to me as a gift. And then the other one, his friend, doesn't want to give it up, and then it turns into a bloody battle where Smeagol chokes his friend to death. 
And then he chokes his friend, and then he becomes so ecstatic and happy because he has the ring to himself. When I see that shot of after he kills his friend, yeah. after he, he chokes him to death, and he has the ring, in my mind, I'm like, his humanity is 100% gone. Yeah. He's not even going to go back to his home, even if he has family, even if he has, if he has kids. Yeah. He's not going back. Yeah. The ring is now his entire life. Exactly. And Andy Serkis... It's great to see him not like as Gollum CGI and to see the actor in mm-hmm. real life playing it because you can see how talented the guy is yeah. and how he embodies both Smeagol and Gollum so well. Absolutely. And then we see over the next few centuries how how the 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 ring keeps Smeagol alive but also deteriorates his mind, his soul and his body. Yeah. And we slowly see him transition into the final form of Gollum. He's withering away, his hair's thinning, he's yeah. getting weirder, great he's Skin's turning it's gray. Disgusting. And then there's that close-up shot of him and his teeth just biting like a raw fish. Yeah, it's nasty. Um, a, f- a cool fact about Andy Serkis' performance is um, the way he portrayed Gollum, especially in terms of his desperate need for the ring and his craving for the ring, he actually based it upon um, his, uh, he actually based it upon heroin withdrawals. So he used withdrawal from a serious drug like heroin heroin as a way to tap into the character's personality obviously worked out yeah it's probably the same exact effect yeah and so after we have this great sequence of the past and then Gollum, uh Schmeagol turning into Gollum, we uh go and see frodo sam and Gollum present day in the story approaching the mountains of mordor and with mountain doom in view and this is very important because in this uh scene we see that sam has bad feelings about Gollum being there mm. and him and Frodo have like their own little personal conversations but Frodo however still has complete trust in the creature mm. and Gollum is putting on a great show for Frodo acting as Smeagol yeah and it's really effective into keeping his trust which will obviously lead to demise later on yeah we'll get to that later so Gandalf and the others make it to Isengard where they run into Merry and Pippin who are who are smoking up like it's nobody's business. <laughs> <laughs> Smoking those joints, they they conquered Isengard. They're like, "What up, players?" They're ripping bulls all day, <laughs> high as a fucking kite. <laughs> and a, a nice little comic relief to uh, get us into the film. And um, this is Saruman finally meets his end. Um, Gandalf kills him and causes him to fall off the ledge of his high tower. And then with Saruman falls the orb, in which he has been using to, 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 to peer upon everyone throughout Middle-earth. Pippin catches a hint of the orb, but Gandalf quickly gathers it and hides it from view. But he's curious. So curious that in the next scene when everyone's sleeping, Pippin decides to go see the orb for himself. And there's this funny moment where he, uh, he takes it from Gandalf while he's sleeping. It's like Indiana Jones yeah, almost. Indiana Jones. <laughs> And then he, so he takes the cloth off the orb and immediately Sauron takes over and, and sees Pippin. But also Pippin sees the future and he sees that Sauron's plan is to attack Minas Tirith as a, a all-out attack on mankind. And then once he tells this to the gang, this is what leads them to journey to Minas Tirith to stop it from happening. So this sets apart. This sets the events into into play for this film. But while this is happening, we go back to to Frodo and Sam and Gollum, and this is where Gollum really begins manipulating them, because they reach those steps. It's like those gigantic, like huge steps, um, and 
while they're climbing them, they 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 watch as the uh, the witch king erupts out of that glowing green building with his army, and he's like he's like the ultimate ring wraith or something. He's just a monster, and they see the size of of this new army, and it's intimidating and terrifying. And then the army takes off, and then these three go back up the steps. But what happens is during one of their nights of rest. Gollum takes all of their lamb, lambs, lambs and bread. Lambs the bread. Lamb the bread. I'm just going to say bread. Gollum takes all their bread, throws it over the ledge, and then sprinkles the crumbs on Sam. And then by waking up Frodo and Sam, they realize that there's no food left. There's no bread left. And obviously, all signs to point to Sam because he's covered in breadcrumbs. And this betrayal causes Frodo to believe that Sam has become selfish, wants the ring for himself, and shouldn't journey with them anymore. Yeah, so this is where Frodo betrays Sam, yeah. tells him to go home, says he doesn't need him anymore, yeah. and he has more trust and faith in Gollum than he does in Sam, his best friend. Yeah, he chooses Gollum over him. Which, and, at this point, Frodo's mental health is just deteriorating because of the ring, so yeah. he doesn't even know what... He's kind of just corrupt himself. Yeah. He's beginning to become corrupt. He's not making a good choice because he's not himself. But even so, Sam does, since Sam is as loyal as can be, so he just does what Frodo says and he leaves. And now we're going to get to see the first time, like, Merry and Pippin get split up because these two have been inseparable, like, their whole lives, and they're, like, best buds. They're almost like brothers. And so now Gandalf is going to take Pippin to Minas Tirith, which is the capital city of Gondor. Mm. This is where the he saw the white tree burning. Mm. And obviously they have to go and see what's going on. And this is the, the kingdom that um, Aragorn really has the rightful heir to. Yeah, he should be king there. Yeah. But there's, right now there's a steward in place. Yeah, and the steward is also corrupt, and he's also evil. Yeah. And so when that's happening, Gollum leads Frodo to Shelob, the giant spider. And he leads him into that cave where all the spider webs are. Oh, it's terrifying. It's horrifying. And then Frodo is trying to walk through, and he just starts getting caught in all the webs. And you can hear Gollum just taunting him from the distance, his voice is echoing through. And then um, Frodo actually manages to escape the cave, and we think he's out. But then out of nowhere, this giant spider just fucking stabs him, paralyzing him, and then starts wrapping him in spider webs. While Frodo's being attacked by Sheila and trying to escape from her, Sam's also on his way back to him yeah. because he, he's not going to give up on Frodo. Again, we've reiterated this multiple times. Sam is so important to the story because he doesn't let Frodo give up and he doesn't give up on Frodo. Mm. And so he's going to come back and try to save him. Yeah. And Frodo does a pretty good job trying to defend himself against this giant spider, but holy crap, it's terrifying. Yeah. And when he gets caught by Sheila and she spins his... Spins him around in that web. My, I was shitting my fucking pants, she dude. She wraps him into a cocoon. But then, da da. Guess who shows up? Samwise shows up with his glowing sword, Stinger. He saves the day, and then it's a great fight between him and him and the the spider. Yeah. And I don't know why these people can't kill these fucking hobbits, dude. Uh, I feel like I could beat the crap out of a hobbit. A hobbit is just like a little kid. You just fucking beat the shit out. <laughs> just of them, kick no him problem. in the face. Yeah. And this giant spider can't get him. Oh uh, yeah. It's, but it's, something about them—they're yeah. too small to catch. <laughs> They're very slippery, these hobbits. <laughs> and somehow Sam stabs this hobbit, this spider in the face and messes it up, and yeah. it runs away. Some of the shots of uh, just a close-up of Sam holding the sword are actually Peter Jackson holding the sword. Really? Yeah, they just ha didn't have him on set, Sean Astin, so he did it instead. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. 
And so Sam saves Frodo and, and uh, pri- tries to, you know, bring him back to life. But also, at the same time, we're cutting back to Gondor at uh, Minas Tirith, where Gandalf and Pippin have gone to see the steward, and Pippin has um, devoted himself now to the steward mm-hmm. because he is Bar- Boromir's father, and when he learns of Boromir's death, he is distraught. Yeah. And so Pippin pledges his allegiance to him and becomes basically like a, a, a knight or something for, yeah. for that steward. But but Denethor is clearly fucking losing it. He's become irrational and delusional and dangerous. And he sends his second son, Carl, played by Carl Urban, basically to slaughter. Well, he doesn't send him, but he says that it's, he wish it was uh, him that died rather than Boromir, which causes Faramir to be like, I need to prove myself to my father. So he pretty much goes on a suicide mission with his corpse, um, with his cavalry, to go try and conquer that city back again. At the same time, the capital of the city is being attacked yeah. by these enormous army. So Gandalf con- convinces Pippin to light the signal fires, which would send a, 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 a call to aid to Rohan. He manages to climb up there, and he lights the fire, and then we see that cool sequence of flame being lit from mountain to mountaintop all the way to Rohan. And then back at Rohan, when the final flame is lit, Aragorn's like, yo, they called for aid, let's go get them! And this, and then uh, Gandalf and Merry, um, they end up Gandalf and Merry. They stop um, Denethor from killing Faramir, and then Denethor jumps off the the ledge of uh, the city because he's fucking crazy now. Sauron's army is is destroying Minas Tirith and really taking taking it to task. Then the army of Rohan shows up behind them, and they start charging. And then we see the huge battle of the fields of Pelennor where. The cavalry of Rohan are going up against this giant evil army where they have these huge elephants and crazy creatures. And it's an amazing sequence. The wraiths get involved and the dragons. It's nuts. And so before the battle in the fields of Pelennor, Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas split up from the the soldiers of Rohan to head into the caverns um, of the dead man's lair in order to reclaim his birthright. And this is where he convinces that dead army to yeah. fight for him, which is a pretty scary sequence because he's like terrifying green ghosts. Yeah. And uh, what happened was Elrond brought Isildur's sword, repaired it, and brought it to Aragorn. So now he is the true claim as the heir to Gondor. Yeah. And then the army becomes loyal to Aragorn, yeah. the rightful king. Yeah. Because of the sword. And, he's and like, then they right. show up with all those ghosts, like yeah. when they when they're on the ship. Yeah, yeah. So in the fields of Pelennor, while the battle is raging on, Aragorn shows up with his ghost army, and they just tear the orc and, and the arm, other armies apart. Yeah. Man, they, they just go to town. Like and you just see all these ghosts just like all floating through the city, killing people and everything, and they don't <laughs> even stand a chance, and they just fuck them all up. It's like we didn't even have to fight. <laughs> yeah, they could have just got the dead army to begin with. That's yeah, yeah. all they had to do. <laughs> Sam saves Frodo from the orcs who took him. And they, they head out, and they, they set out on foot for Mordor. So while they're entering Mordor, they see that they're, they're, the army is gigantic, and they're all over the land. Like, there's no way they can make it to, to, the, to the volcano without being seen. But while that's happening, Aragorn says to the armies, like, let's go to the Black Gate and make a last stand. So all to the, give Frodo yeah, time. Yeah, so all the armies of men gather together, and they and they lay siege to the Black Gate, so they approach the Black Gate. This causes Sauron to take his entire body of, of forces and send it out after the army of men. Because he's, take, oh, sorry. because he's like, 
this is the this is everyone that's left in mankind. I can fuck these guys up and and end it end this for once and for all. So he sends everyone out after them. And also, it takes all his attention to the front gates. Yeah, so, away away from everything else happening. So in- it empties out Mordor and takes the gaze of Sauron's eye off of searching for for Frodo and on to the the battle that ensues. And this is an epic battle because they're clearly outnumbered. Yeah, and they just have this small circle army of of fighters left. And they're going to fight to the end. And even there's that great scene where Aragorn just like, he seems to become at peace with that, he, with death. Yeah. And he's just like, he gives that great speech. He's like, let's do it, man. Here we go. <laughs> and then he's like, he just leads the charge. He just they, runs after this giant army by himself. And even Merry and Pippin are like, ah. Yeah, they're like the next two that show up. And now we're dealing with uh, inside Mordor, Sam and Frodo. And Frodo is exhausted. And he, he's, you know, yeah. he, he can't, he can't walk anymore because this journey is just taking so much out of him. And so, um, Sam ends up having to have to lift him up to carry him up the hill. Up, I can't up the carry mountain. it for you, but I can carry you. Yeah, it's a great moment, yeah. and he carries him up uh, the the mountain. Yeah, very up heroic to, moment. Up Mount Doom. As as they're going up, guess who shows up? Gollum's Gollum. back. He's not done, so he starts attacking them. And then there's this fight between the three of them. Gollum's like he's messing them up. He's like throwing rocks off their faces and pounded into them yeah but frodo manages to get away and he and he has this final this last burst of energy and he manages to jump jump up and run into the volcano and then sam subdues Gollum and follows frodo inside and now we have frodo this whole journey he's taken him here he's finally made it to mount doom he's inside the volcano the only place that the ring can be destroyed and this is where he finally becomes corrupted by the ring he can't do it sam's yelling at him to drop it into the lava but he can't do it, and he decides to put the ring on. Yeah. And just this evil face just comes on Frodo. Yeah, he just has that smirk. Yeah. He, and he says, the ring is mine now. And when he puts the, the ring on, and he goes invisible, and, like, the music goes, and You're Sam like, no! screams, and he's like, the world's over! No! They're not gonna do it! And, and then, uh, But, uh, so the thing is, with this is, it begs the question, like, did Frodo really carry out the task? And why did he, why did he, if Gandalf said that he could do it, and if Galadriel said that he's the one who can do it, why is it that when Frodo came to the last moment, he decided not to destroy the ring? I think that the ring itself, no one could fully perform the task. I think that's, I think that's right. I yeah. think that Frodo was the only one who had the, the ability to bring it that far. But even in the end... The ring is so powerful, but that nobody could eventually turn it down completely. Yeah, I think any possessor of the ring will not lead to its destruction, which which is a perfect example of how it becomes destroyed, is where Gollum, he knows he's invisible, so he, he finds him, tracks him down, and bites the ring off his finger. Yeah. And, and Gollum will fall holding his precious into the lava, yeah. not knowing that it's going to destroy the ring, mm. despite that happening. Because he doesn't know any better. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think any being that possesses the ring won't have the power, no matter how good they are, to drop it into the lava. Yeah, I think it's it's one thing for a character to never hold the ring to be able to turn it down, but then to have the ring and possess it, I don't think it's possible to, to destroy it. Because Bilbo doesn't destroy it when he gives it to Frodo. He just passes it on. But Frodo has to destroy it, and I think any every every person would be incapable of actually destroying the ring. Yeah. So I think that's why as well. Yeah. I think we're probably right. Yeah. Must be. Yeah. I mean, what else would it be? Yeah. Someone has probably some other theory. <laughs> but then, yeah, Gollum gets the ring, and then he falls down the cliff, and then he lands into the lava, and he's like, oh, what's happening? And he slowly, he quickly, like, melts into it. And then 
the ring just for it, the the lava underneath it turns to stone and ash, and then it solidifies, and then eventually the ring just completely melts into the lava, and then the volcano erupts. Yeah, play explodes, uh, explodes, kid. Yeah, and then um the armies see it explode, and then Sauron's armies start panicking because the the earth beneath them starts collapsing, and they start falling into the earth, and then the ones who survive start running away, and then Sam uh, pulls Frodo up. In this gross, bloody hand, <laughs> missing a finger, and then uh, he they they escape the the volcano, and then they get saved by the eagles, which leads to probably the biggest qualm people have with the movie is the eagles, and people are like, why didn't they just use the eagles in the beginning? And the reason why they didn't use the eagles in the beginning is because Sauron's eye would have seen them immediately, and they would have they would have ended like before they knew it, they would have died immediately. So they couldn't use the eagles at all. Good point, sir. Yeah. Good point. If Sauron would have seen them, no problem. He would have been like, hey, there's a bunch of eagles flying here. Can you guys take them out? Yeah. So they did it. They they def- they destroyed the ring yeah. um, with the help of Gollum, uh, unbeknownst to him. Uh, and then freaking Aragorn becomes king yeah. of Gondor. Becomes king. Marries. That marries, amazing crown ceremony. Yeah, and he marries, marries his, his, elf, his elf bride. Yeah. Um and then the the hobbits return to the Shire. It's yeah. like another sixty five minutes. Yeah, you think the movie's <laughs> over, but yeah, we could do a whole podcast on what's left. We really could. Like, there's some weird scenes going on after this. That slow motion when Frodo wakes up in the bed and it's like slow motion. It's very bright, soft light, and everyone's like so happy. It's, yeah, it's, it's very cringy. It's very suggestive. They're like. Ha, and then when Sam walks into the room, oh my god! And Frodo and Sam just give each other that look, like, "Oh yeah, baby, there's something going on. Let's get it on." There's something going on between these two. <laughs> you can tell the the looks they give each other in this movie. It's very romantic. <laughs> and then uh, they're at back at the Shire. Yeah. And, and Sam gets married. Sam asks that girl out, Rosie. Rosie. They get married. Everything's back to normal. And then Frodo leaves with the elves to go live his life and. He's like, fuck the hobbits. <laughs> Peter Jackson actually filmed one last shot four months after the film came out and three weeks after the film won Best Picture. It's a shot of skulls on the floor that he wanted to get so badly that he filmed it after the movie already won Best Picture. And they put it in the DVD extended. They put it in the extended DVD version. Oh, no way. Yeah, so it's like this funny thing where they were filming one last scene even though the movie won the Oscar. <laughs> 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 Never finished it. And then for the for the giant armies at the final battle outside of Mordor, they actually hired a lot of the New Zealand army to play the uh the orcs and the uh the man the the men. It's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Are we done? We're done. Holy That's crap. I am exhausted. This yeah. was this took a lot out of me, man. It's, it's like it's, eleven o'clock. It's dense. I'm rocked right now. That that yeah. a lot goes on in these movies. That was an exhausting episode. Holy yeah. shit. Um Overall, one of the greatest trilogies of all time. Yeah. Amazing characters, amazing directing. Yeah. Obviously, deserves all the acclaim and awards it got. And you know, this this film series will live on forever. Obviously, no one gives a crap about The Hobbit like they shouldn't. <laughs> um, Lord of the Rings is the real gem of this Middle Earth world. Yeah, they are some of my favorite movies to watch. Um, it's one of the greatest stories ever told, and it will always stand the test of time. And I, I look forward to seeing what Amazon does with it with the prequel series. I'm pretty curious about that. Um, but otherwise, this this trilogy is 
the top of the top of filmmaking and storytelling. Yeah. Expertly made. All right, that's the end of episode 18. Thanks for listening. Oh, my God. Thank God I'm exhausted. Um, stay tuned. Uh, we went and took a road trip to San Diego to see Tenant on Saturday because San Diego County is the only county opening up movie theaters in Southern California. So we drove two hours to go see it. Um, check out our little video we did a before and after reaction. It's a lot of fun. We're going to do a review on Tenant coming up. So if you haven't seen it, don't watch that yeah. or listen to it if you're going to see it. But if you have seen it or want to hear about it, check it out. You'll like what we have to say. But we're going to be spoiling the fucking movie big time. Yeah. But we're very excited to talk about it. And you guys definitely got to see it as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. And it's freaking awesome. Hell yeah. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Peace.